This is Iron Sports on 95.9, 106.9. I am honored to have the expert on Michigan football, John Bacon, uh, and a, one of the most esteemed authors uh, on the show today. So, John, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. Ira, my pleasure, of course. We had you a couple years ago. You talked about your book, Overtime, which was an amazing book about everything about Michigan. So I thought you'd be the perfect guest to come back now that all the things that you talked about in the book and all the pressures, it's like that one win over Ohio State and then the win over um, Iowa, uh, what happened in terms of bringing Michigan back, well, to they say, to their prominence. That's about right. Uh, we talked two years ago. I probably said it then. I certainly said it on ESPN before the game on the previous Saturday against Ohio State. For Jim Harbaugh to have true ownership of the position, to be accepted by everybody, of course, and, and look toward the, towards the future, one very simple answer, you have to beat the Buckeyes. There is no substitute. And then they finally did it, and did it in emphatic fashion, as you noticed. How much, we're seeing it from the outside for the national perspective, how much pressure what did Jim Harbaugh come this year? Like, I mean, it to me looking at from the outside, I can't think of a coach that had more pressure than Harbaugh, but maybe from Michigan, he felt like he had a little couple more a leeway, but it just seemed from the outside. I, I just can't think of a coach that was under more pressure. I think you're right, actually. And look, usually Michigan, and I've said this before, and uh, occasionally to Paul Feinbaum's disappointment, Paul's a good friend. It does a great job, of course, but uh, everyone thinks, you know, the last year, the year before he's in the hot seat, he's in the hot seat. It's like, well, at Michigan, they don't look at polls. They don't look at, you know, radio shows and blogs and all that. They, one guy gets a vote. It's the athletic director, and the vote has always been one nothing in Harbaugh's favor. However, as you noticed, Ira, in the offseason in January of last year, uh, he had one year left in his contract. Harbaugh did. So the AD, um, Ward Manuel, changed it dramatically. Instead of setting up the same deal, he basically cut the salary in half with a lot of bonuses. He can get his money back, and he probably just did, and then some. <laughs> Um, but and, and cut way back on the buyout and so on. It basically became an at-will, year-by-year contract, which is very rare at that level. Um, so with that in mind, um, it was do or die. And to Jim's credit, and people don't talk about this, um, he swapped out six of his ten assistant coaches who had done a good job to that point. Uh, but you swap that out, man, that is a big boy bet right there, all the chips, and you live or die on it, and it clearly worked extremely well. And talk about some of those assistants. I mean, one was the defensive coordinator he brought in from the Ravens. And in terms of those decisions, I mean, so many times people make, I mean, Ed Oregonian at LSU or Oregon had uh, trained to change assistants. A lot of assistants left. And, and the problem was he brought the wrong ones in. But it seems like that uh, Coach Harbaugh hit a home run with his assistants bringing them in this year. Yeah, well, like I said, it's a hit or miss proposition. And frankly, how much do you know about any assistant coach before you hire them? I mean, they might have coached somewhere else. They might have coached a high school team. In Ron Bellamy's case, he won a couple state titles at West Bloomfield, but he's a high school coach. He played at Michigan, and he's a hell of a coach. But how do you know how he's going to do at the college level? And McDonald, as you pointed out, the defensive coordinator, had coached for Jim's brother John with the Baltimore Ravens. Okay, that's great. But can you adapt to 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds? These are all fair questions, and they've been answered uh, enthusiastically yes, I suppose, in all cases. And one of the ones that I think is most interesting is Michael Hart. Michael Hart set the record for rushing at Michigan back in uh, 07, I believe it was, and then went on to a very good career at, in coaching, uh, finally at Indiana last year. But he and Jim Harbaugh had a very public dispute 15 years ago or so about academics and who's a Michigan man and who isn't. <laughs> and people were eating that, eat, eating that up 14 years ago, and now here they are on the same staff. So give them both credit for bearing the hatchet and putting Michigan ahead of their whatever differences they had. 
Did he, besides the coaching staff, did, was there any other changes he made to the program in terms of the style, the offense, the players? Is, is there anything else that he did in terms of looking at this as his last chance to his last stand? Well, yeah, I think one of the coolest things he did was created a what they call the leadership council of seniors and others, I believe, um, to determine which direction the team is going to go. And, of course, Aiden Hutchinson, the captain and now a Heisman Trophy candidate, the defensive end, um, he, of course, was led, leading that charge. And shameless plug, Ira, my latest book is Let Them Lead, and it's all about uh, doing just that. If it's you versus the players, you're going to lose. And down where you are, of course, John Cooper, who had coached high school hockey, believe it or not, in Michigan when I was coaching years ago, um, he had a great, he's got a great phrase. Uh, bad teams, nobody leads. Good teams, coaches lead. And great teams, everybody leads. And that's what Harbaugh this year was trying to affect. They had pretty weak leadership in 2019 and 2020, and it didn't work. Uh, this year they got great leadership, unranked, and now they're in the Final Four. You know, they started this year out and uh, what, six, seven games in a row, 7-0, and um, and everything, see, but they start with the doubters. It's like 7-0, but you've really done nothing. It was the, probably the, the worthless 7-0 ever because people were like, well, it's not really anything. You're unranked going into the year. Then they lose to Michigan State when they had that lead, and it's like at that point, then people said, well, this is what Harbaugh was. That's when Paul Feynman said, Feinbaum said, you know, he's, it's in, he's incapable of winning a big game. Um, at that point, how did, how did he keep the team together and not let the season just completely unravel? Great question. And again, I think the answer, and you're right, by the way, you lose to Michigan State. Look, two games in the schedule matter to, to the fans and largely to the players, and that's Michigan State and Ohio State. Um, they lost a game. They had a 16-point lead, as you point out. Lost a game to a team that was 2-5 and five last year. Mel Tucker is the Big Ten Coach of the Year and deserves it. Um, one heck of a game. When the wheels come off like that, Harbaugh's pretty good at this. Uh, at 2015, of course, against Michigan State was the famous punt game, uh, where the craziest play I've ever seen to end a game. Michigan State makes it, and they win the game. And what you do is you, you resort to your values as fast as you can and get the leaders involved. And luckily, they had an easy relatively easy game the next week against Rutgers, um, or supposed to be easy anyway. Um, and uh, you just circle the wagons and get back to your values and block out all the noise. And they did a very good job of that. And then even going, but going into the Ohio State game, it's like, again, it was just like no one was giving Michigan any chance. This game was at home, the Michigan fans. I mean, I was at the Penn State-Michigan game. Michigan looked good against Penn State, but people don't even know what this Penn State team looks like. But the fact is... I don't. I really don't believe. I think if Michigan would have won every other game in between the two, like a hundred to nothing, people would still have doubted. There was doubt in Michigan going to the Ohio State game, and like that, it was like from the opening drive. Like I thought, I, was, I said this last week when Ohio State they I deferred. I thought that was a mistake. I think Ohio State should. I mean, their defense was terrible. Ohio State should let's take the ball, score, but to giving Michigan a chance to get that ball and then just drive down and run the ball down, I think was a statement by Michigan saying, "Look, your defense stinks, and and we're just going to do this all day long." I think you're dead right about that. I said that quietly, I admit, in the press box before the game started. Uh, but back to your point, I mean, these guys, and knowing enough about the locker room right now and these guys and the coaching staff, uh, every guy in that room believed they are going to beat Ohio State. They had no doubts. And that had not happened the previous two years, for sure. I think they felt that way in 2018, but they're probably too public about their, uh, their views, and they got smacked down pretty badly at Columbus. Uh, this time was a quiet confidence. They came to it with great earnestness. And I thought it was a big mistake for Ohio State to defer to Michigan, to give them the ball first. Um, they went right down, scored a touchdown, and now your confidence is up. And furthermore, that crowd, 
people can call a Michigan crowd quiet all they want. Everyone was not just standing up. They're standing on their benches, and not just the students, but the quote-unquote fat cat alumni and whatnot, uh, waving pom-poms every play throughout the entire game. So that's the last crowd you want to get into it. Um, and that was a tactical error on Day's part, in my opinion. And then I just think, it, it, would you say that Ohio State was overconfident? I mean, they had to be listening to the press clippings that there was, this was going to be a close game. And I even saw it against the Penn State, you know, when they committed all the penalties that was at that game in Ohio State. It seems like they didn't even respect Penn State. This is a team that if, they're, if they get a lead, they're going to win. You know, how many games did they had where they were up like 40 to nothing? It seemed like it seven or eight of those games during the season. But when they got in a tough game, it just seemed they had trouble. And I think they were just way overconfident against Michigan. And you saw that in some of that pregame pushing and shoving where they were sort of disrespecting Michigan. I think you're exactly right about that one, Ira. And a friend of mine who covers them closely down there for 11 Warriors, uh, the top uh, Ohio State uh, fan site website, I uh, calls them entitled. That, I mean, look, and in fairness, they had not lost a Big Ten game in three years. <laughs> How can you convince a 19-year-old kid who's never lost a Big Ten game that somehow this team, seven-point underdogs, who lost to Michigan State, a team he just blew out 49 nothing in the first half the previous week, how can you possibly convince them that they can lose? And they didn't believe it, and that was part of the setup. Uh, Bo Schimbeckler used to say famously, the upset is in the mind of the favorite. In other words, they can't beat you without your permission. And Ohio State brought their game down enough and Michigan brought their game up enough to result in an old-fashioned butt kicking in that game. And it wasn't fluky, and it wasn't the calls, and it wasn't turnovers. Michigan did not generate a turnover the entire game. They flat-out pushed Ohio State around the entire night. One fun fact for your Ira, uh, Michigan did not suffer a tackle for loss the entire game. And in the second half, did not require a third down on four straight long touchdown drives. So that is when you're getting your butt kicked. And then Haskins, who scored five touchdowns in that game, he just seemed to be someone who was like, I, you're not tackling me. Like, you're going to need four or five. And his burst, I mean, I, I, it was, he was just rocket fuel almost in terms of going and attacking that line. And I think that was another difference where I think Ohio State hadn't faced a running back that really just took it to them. So they were having trouble on the line, but then you have a running back that just was running with reckless abandon. It's a hell of a combination. Uh, I think they, they figured out that uh, most of his yards were af- after contact. He'd get the first five yards free from that offensive line. Uh, and then, of course, make his own moves. He's not that big a guy, but I saw him, as you did, uh, carry two or three guys for five yards a bunch of times during that game. That was a determined guy, uh, to say the least. But the offensive line was decent this year, but I didn't think they were all that great at Michigan. And like I said, they just shoved those guys around, perhaps most impressively, the fourth touchdown of that half when you're up by, I think, seven points at that point. Um, and it's about eight minutes left, and you know you're going to run, they know you're going to run, and everyone knows you're going to run, and they ran anyway, and they still ran their way to a touchdown with no passes. So, again, I did not anticipate. I thought Michigan could win the game. I thought it was about a one-third chance. But I never thought they'd blow them out and just push them around all day long. And then Ohio State, you know, put up yards and everything like that. But to be able to, I mean, it, they couldn't keep up with them. I mean, the one thing Ohio State you expected is like, okay, if Michigan's going to score, at least we're going to way outscore them. But it's the Michigan defense that got those key stops. And even though they got the yardage, and I think Stroud threw like 350 yards or something, but they got key stops and they have three first-round NFL draft picks at wide receivers. I just the uh, Hutchinson at defense is just, I mean, amazing. Uh, you know, it's funny how his name was not on anyone's list three, week, three weeks ago or so for the Heisman, I don't think. Uh, and now it's taken seriously. But, you know, C.J. Stroud is 
he was a Heisman candidate until that game, probably. Maybe he still is. Uh, three, as you say, NFL, probably first-round draft picks at wide receiver. And they made some great catches in that game. You could see the talent that Ohio State has. But one thing, as you said earlier, Ohio State had really not been punched in the mouth at any point during the season, I guess early on versus Oregon, but not in the Big Ten season. What do they do when they're behind? What do they do when they're you know, behind by 7 or four, you know, 14? Can they handle it? And what does Stroud do when he's on the run? On the run, uh, Hutchins in that game had 15 hurries. That's like half your passing, <laughs> your passing down. That means you're on the run more often than not, and that cannot be a healthy place to be. So they, they, they beat Ohio State, and then everyone's saying, you know, the, the Harbaugh haters are out saying, well, that was a fluke. They're, gonna, they're not going to be motivated for Iowa. Iowa's going to come in like Iowa's dangerous. And then they win by 30-some points against Iowa, blow them out of the game there. Uh, to be able – what did he do in that week after having that just historic victory they'll talk about for years, but not to have the letdown and be ready to play Iowa and to put that performance on? That is – Probably underrated. Uh, the, the analogy I used all week that got picked up, I think, nationwide is 1980 Olympic team. Uh, back when we were a little younger, maybe you weren't born yet, I'm not sure, I read kid. But the, they beat the Soviets on Friday night, which is great, and everyone thought that was for the gold medal. It wasn't. Uh, they had to play the Finns about 40 hours later on Sunday morning, and if they lose that game to Finland, they might have gotten nothing, not a silver, not a bronze, nothing. And they're down 2-1 to one, going to the third period. They got a penalty to kill. It uh, could have all gone kaput, and Herb Brooks gave him the great line, if you guys lose this game, you'll take it to your graves. <laughs> and then he said it again. Um, and that was basically Michigan's message. If we lose this game, we'll take it to our graves. And that got spread around the team, I believe. And they just stayed focused. They blocked it all out. We're going to have to do again, of course, going forward against Georgia and possibly Alabama. So, uh, so yeah, they got their work cut out for them. But already, the, whatever happens next for Michigan, I'm sure, is gravy at this point. Yeah, I mean, Georgia seems to be really – it's, it's going to be a tough team for them because the teams that Georgia has destroyed, it seems like the way to beat them is to go over the top, and McNamara is not that type of passer. They're not going to throw the ball 50 times a game and to do what Alabama did, which was just tremendous. So it's really a tough matchup for Michigan, and certainly they'd much prefer to have played Cincinnati uh, rather than, uh, than Georgia. Cincinnati or Notre Dame or Oklahoma State. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guarantee you they were not thrilled when they saw uh, Alabama manhandle, truly uh, manhandle Georgia. Cause you know Georgia's still in it, and they should be. They're, you know, 12-1, and one, for crying out loud. Um, that's a hell of a season, um, number one, for a good chunk of it. Uh, so, yeah, they, honestly, Georgia matches up pretty similarly to Ohio State. Now, one great advantage Michigan has in this game that they didn't have versus Ohio State is Alabama just showed you a roadmap on how to beat them. So that tape, I'm sure, will be broken down many times in Ann Arbor before the game. They'll be the underdogs. It's about the same as it was against Ohio State, about seven and a half points, I think. Um, but I think this team's pretty hard to face at that point. And if I'm Georgia, uh, you are playing a team playing its very best at the right time. So it should be a good game. Um, where is this? I mean, now you're seeing the, con- the, the coaches' contracts in the Big Ten, and uh, Mel Tucker gets $95 million guaranteed, and James Franklin $75 million guaranteed. And suddenly, and then I really think what Harbaugh did, and it's been underrated, under, not even just talked as much, is that the bonuses that he got, he gave to the staff, all the people who took pay cuts during the pandemic. It just seems to be Harbaugh's not in this for the money. It's, he just is in it because he wants to win for Michigan. I guess right. As corny as it sounds, and look, I'm sure Jim would perform more, more money to less money. Don't, <laughs> I don't doubt that for a second. He's got an agent for a reason, and actually his agent's a, a lawyer who's a friend of his, but uh, he avoids all that. But, uh, 
But look, I mean, he, he already, you know, he's already an all-pro quarterback. He'd done his job. He's in the ring of honor at the Indianapolis Colts. This is not a guy who needs to coach. And you don't see, you know, Joe Montana and these guys coaching. Um, Joe Montana, of course, is a better quarterback than Jim was, and he got the Super Bowls to prove it. But, you know, a, a 14 NFL, 14-year NFL veteran, these guys don't, don't generally coach. So it can't be the money in the first place that motivated Jim, I don't think. And I'm sure his first contract at the University of San Diego, which was, I think, around $50,000, you don't do that for the money. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, a high school te- coach in Texas gets more than that for a good team. So, um, And, again, giving away the $3.5 million the same week that Brian Kelly – Leaves Notre Dame for LSU, and uh, everyone else is getting $95 million, $75 million guaranteed. Uh, it's a stark contrast. Now, having said that, I have reason to believe that Michigan will probably be writing Jim a new contract when this is all done to uh, go back to his old one, then some. Uh, but I think it's a great gesture. I've not seen a gesture like it from any other coach in America. So give him credit. And I think Michigan does deserve credit from the administrative side in terms of, and also like Pitt, because Narduzzi was coming under a lot of uh, fire too. That, you know, why are you keeping Narduzzi on? And, and he paid off handsomely winning the ACC title for the University of Pittsburgh, just as Harbaugh did for the Big Ten ch- title. And, you know, when you see down here in Florida, like Dan Mullen, he's fired after four years. Manny Diaz after three years. It just seems right. like teams are willing to just get rid of their coaches quickly. And there has to be something to said about being loyal to your coach who's trying to win and someone like, uh, uh, Coach Harbaugh and Coach Darnuzzi. I agree with all that, and great point on Pat Darnuzzi. Obviously, that uh, you know the former defensive coordinator, of course, at Michigan State, did a great job for Mark D'Antonio. Um, as we as we both know, Ira, having covered this stuff for many years and at close range, uh, patience is not a quality in, <laughs> in long supply amongst athletic directors, alumni, fans, and so on. But it results in these revolving door programs. Look. Football, I think, more than almost any other sport, takes so long to get going uh, the way you want. Um, and if think about it. If they had pulled the plug on Arduzzi a couple of years ago and they are talking about it, uh, you wouldn't be the ACC champs this year with a very bright future, and now recruits coming in. It looks very good right now for Peyton, and it should. Uh, likewise at Michigan. I mean, they had recruits in for the Washington night game, a blowout, and they had recruits in for the Ohio State game. If a recruit sees that game and doesn't want to come to Michigan, he ain't coming to Michigan anyway. <laughs> so, and if this is not impressed, he's all we got. So that's uh, Michigan's attitude, I'm sure. Um, so they'll have a very good recruiting class. So will Pitt. And patience is rewarded. Uh, but it's, not, it's often not exercised. Well, thanks again for coming on, John. I really appreciate you talking about Michigan. I'm going to let you plug your book. You just mentioned it earlier about we've had, you've had, we had you on, on the book Overtime. You've had the book called End Zone and, I mean, many other books that are fantastic. But your current book that just came out was Let Them Lead. Tell me a little about that book. Sure. The title is, Ira, Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team. And I'm not making that up. It happens to be Ann Arbor Huron High School, home of the River Rats. Where I went to school, I coached the team, incredibly. Uh, Harbaugh went to Ann Arbor Pioneer. That's where all the good guys go and, you know, where the river rats, is all I can tell you. Uh, the team was 0-22-3, worst in America, according to one, one website. I'm the worst player in school history, having played in all 86 games and scored the fewest goals, zero. That's hard to beat. Uh, pretty bad combination, and yet within three years, we're the best team in school history. Number 53 in the country, we'd passed 95% of the nation in three years. And I did not cut one player off that 0-22 and 3 team. So uh, it's a way to how to lead the new generation, uh, current workers. Um, and uh, Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe, God bless him, called it Ted Lasso meets Mighty Ducks. And Malcolm Gladwell picked it for his book club, the Next Big Idea book club. So and NPR 
last week picked it as one of their favorite books of the year. So check it out, a fine gift for anybody who cares about leadership or just a good story. I'd love to read it, and it seems like a book that's going to be made into a movie. Like, we're going to see this as a Disney movie coming up, too. We got a shot. Um, The last time that Disney did this was D3 Mighty Ducks. That screenwriter and I, Jim Bernstein, are working on a script together. We're almost done. And that's getting some buzz there, too. So, uh, so yeah, got a real shot. And Ira, just shoot me your address, and we'll send you a copy. Oh, obviously. I can't wait to read it. That'd be great. So the congratulations. That sounds awesome. But, John, thank you so much for coming on, Ira, on Sports. I really appreciate you talking about the University of Michigan, the football team, Harbaugh, everything, and, and your book, Let Them Lead, which is available in bookstores and Amazon and everything right now. So thanks a lot, John, for coming on, Ira, on Sports. Ira, thank you, buddy.